At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through this three-week series, we're turning to the biblical book of Isaiah to discover how God's holiness, forgiveness, and love compel us to share Him with others. We'll come face-to-face with whatever's keeping us from answering God's call as Isaiah did. Send me. Well, it is uh, my joy to be able to add my uh, Mother's Day well wishes to that of Pastor EJ, who shared earlier. We are so grateful for every mom who's in the house today. Can we again thank God for the moms that are here uh, worshiping with us, either in person or Uh, watching us online. We love and appreciate you, and we pray that today is a day of encouragement. We're also praying for those of you who have heavy hearts. Maybe you're missing a mom or you're a mom who's missing a child, but either way, know that God sees you, that he loves you, and that his grace is there and available to you. You know, today is a special day as well because I think in many ways it gives us an opportunity to debunk and dispel one of the great lies of our culture. And it's a lie that's seen a revival, and in particular this week has been very acutely loud in our culture. The lie is that either this false dichotomy that either you and I can love, appreciate, value, and support women, or we can believe in the promise and the protection of children at every stage of life, and in particular in the womb. But how many are grateful that the gospel gives us a different vision? That we don't have to choose between loving women or protecting children. It is possible for us to love and value and appreciate and champion women while at the same time believing in the promise and the protection of children and in particular the unborn. And today I am so committed to proclaiming that message. And as a church, we are not backing away one iota from either. And I thank God that as a church, we believe in life. And we believe that God has called us to be a champion for that. But I also thank God that we believe in investing in, equipping, and loving women uh, deeply. And so today I'm gonna ask you to join me in not only praying about that, but I believe that our commitment to life should not just be rhetoric, that we talk about, but it should be action that we do. And so inside of your bulletin, every one of you should have received a little insert. It's an insert uh, card. You could pull that out. It's not only a Mother's Day greeting, but it's an opportunity for us to invest in women and in children. You know, in this country, we do a pretty good job at celebrating moms. How many by the show of hands, for example, got a card for your mom or grandma? Show me your hands. Praise God for meeting the bare minimum bar. Praise God, you did it. How many are going to call a mom or Zoom with her? Or how many have lunch and dinner plans? Come on, show me your hands. That's absolutely awesome. You're the reason I couldn't get reservations. But the reality is, is that around the world, there are plenty of women, and uh, some even locally, that won't get a card or a call 
or have a Mother's Day dinner, and there are even some who don't have access to health care or fresh water. And this is why we as a ministry are so committed to global outreach. Through our global outreach, we are helping women and families and children all around the world. We have orphanages in Thailand and in India that we have not only started but continue to support to this day, and I thank you for doing that. But today I want to ask you to consider scanning this QR code when you do, and it's easy to scan the QR code. All you got to do is open your photo app and let it hover over that little uh, icon there, and it will take you to a page. And when you do scan there, it'll give you the opportunity to support. Through your generosity, uh, the work of uh, not only caring for women locally and abroad, but helping to continue our work and our fight for the sanctity of life here in our own community. Uh, Through our network of pregnancy resource centers that rally around women, not only up until birth, but even after that, and also to support the great work of Right to Life of Michigan. So I'm gonna ask that you would consider that, but just know on the other side of your generosity, lives are being changed for the glory of God as we meet not only physical needs, but the greatest need of all of our hearts and souls, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? With that being said, I'm really grateful for the word of God today, and I know that for many of you, I'm the only thing standing between uh, you and lunch, so I'll move quickly and swiftly. Can you go with me to Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah chapter 6, we have spent three weeks in nine verses. And I thank God for that because what that hopefully shows you and, and does definitely remind me is that there is so much truth and wisdom in every verse of Scripture that it's so easy to forget that. We can easily read quickly a particular passage and maybe get one good thing out of it and, and think that that's all. But there's literally a buffet, if you will, in every verse of scripture. So I encourage you to read it again and again and again. This week as I was preparing for our message today, our final message in this series on Isaiah 6 that we have called Sin Mean, I've been studying the life of extraordinary women throughout church history. Women who God have used in great ways to advance the gospel. And there have been so many biographies that have been so impressive to me, but one I want to highlight today that really captured my heart and my attention. It's a name that maybe you've heard before, the name Lottie Moon. How many by the show of hands have heard that name before, Lottie Moon? Some of you have heard. I appreciate the eight people who raised their hand. This is going to be great. Because for a lot of you, I'm going to introduce you to a new hero of the faith. Someone you should Google, you should learn about, because her life uh, definitely is worth learning more about. Lottie Moon was born in 1840 to a very affluent family. It was also a family that was very committed to education, a highly valued education. At a pretty early age, it became very apparent that Lottie was not only extraordinarily gifted, but she was also extremely intelligent. By the age of 14, Lottie had enrolled in college. Age of 14, she's enrolled at Hollins University in uh, Virginia, where she went on to earn her bachelor's degree. Immediately following that, she went to graduate school at Virginia Female Seminary, where she goes on to earn her master's degree. She was so intelligent, so smart, that she mastered Greek and French and Italian and even Latin 
And I don't know how anyone masters Latin, but she did it. And later on in life, she even mastered Mandarin Chinese. Now, you would think a woman like this, with all these extraordinary gifts and ability, the affluent family, the great networking opportunity, that she would use her gifts and her talent in a myriad of ways. She could have no doubt been a phenomenal business leader. She probably could have run for public office and succeeded in government. This is the type of woman that could have easily built organizations. But what did Lottie Moon do with her time, her talent, and her energy? Well, she dedicated it as a full-time missionary to northern China, a place during her day that had not yet received the gospel, a place that was for the most all, most of, uh, mostly was closed off to the gospel, what we would call an unreached people group. And reading her story caused me to wonder for a moment why. Why? Why would anyone with that amount of gifting, ability, and talent dedicate it to missions work instead of some other enterprise? And I don't think that's just a question for Lottie Moon's life. I think that's a question for our lives as well. Why would we dedicate our time, talent, and treasure to the service of Christ, to proclaiming the good news of the gospel? I believe the answer is found in our passage for today. Again, if you're not there, Isaiah chapter 6, and by now, after three weeks in these nine verses, maybe you've memorized these words, but please give a fresh hearing to them again. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the glory of his robe, of his train, of the train of his robe, rather, filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go. What a powerful moment this is. It shouldn't be lost on either of us that Isaiah is ushered in to one of the most glorious and powerful moments ever recorded in human history. What we're reading here is what has classically been called by theologians the commissioning of Isaiah. We, we literally get the intimate view of his calling. But I don't think it's recorded just so we can have a history of how God dealt with him. I believe it's captured and recorded for our edification. That there's a lot of things that are happening in this passage in the life of Isaiah in his dealings with God that is also true for us as well. Maybe the greatest aspect of this entire story is the conclusion of it. The fact that this man ultimately accepts God's call to serve him. He ultimately says yes. 
But the question of all of it is why? Why did he say yes and why should you and I say yes? Now, our yes may not end in us being missionaries to China or doing what Isaiah did, but wherever he plants us, as a mechanic in the shop, as an engineer in a company, as a teacher in a classroom, wherever he decides to place us, what is true for all of us is that we're called to use the best of our time, our talent, our treasure, to let others know about his grace, his goodness, and his glory. And so why did Isaiah say yes? Well, what we've seen is it's more than one reason. The first reason why Isaiah says yes is because of the glory of God. Because he had saw no one as great as this. No one was greater. And that glory is expressed through one word. It's called holiness. If you use one adjective to describe God, it would have to be that he is holy. That's what the angel said. That's what humanity says. When we see God, he is holy. I shared with you a few weeks ago that that word holy means separated or set apart in a category or a class all unto itself. This is what the angels are saying as they fly around the throne room of God. Picture them saying, there's no one like you. At every lap around, they see various aspects of his glory and his greatness, and they are left in awe to once again say, there is no one like our God. And I hope that every time you see his glory in the pages of his word, that every time you see his glory as the, the gospel is presented through through preachers like myself, that every time you see his glory as we worship him, that you are left in the same awe that Isaiah is left in as you look at God saying, there's nobody like you, God. Nobody as worthy as you. Nobody as good as you. Nobody as kind as you. You are holy in a category all unto itself. How many know that God alone is worthy of our worship and our praise and the glory. How many believe that with all of your heart? But that's not the only reason why Isaiah said yes. Yes to serving him in his public life and his private life. It was also because of what happened in verse number five. I hope you noticed it. That when Isaiah saw God, he also saw himself. It's impossible for us to get a real glimpse of God and not, not also get a real glimpse of our own heart. When Isaiah saw God, he realized something about him. He says, woe is me, I am lost. You know, some translations say, I am undone, I am ruined. If this is holiness, then I am not. And no doubt, Isaiah in his mind, what's flooding his mind is his mistakes, the sins that he had committed. What Isaiah was saying is that I am far from perfect. Let me just make an announcement, and I probably should have did this up front, that this is not the class for the perfect. If you're looking for that class, it's down the hall somewhere, because this is the assembly of the imperfect. What's happening right now is a gathering of people who recognize how messed up we often are and how much we need forgiveness. Now, maybe your sins are uh, of the garden variety type. Maybe you've just been guilty of a few white lies here and there. But that's certainly not my story, and it's not the story of most of us that are in this room. 
Because most of us can think of things that we have done that have not only damaged our lives but maybe hurt other people deeply. Most of us can think of mistakes that we have made that we're so embarrassed about that we wouldn't want to talk to anyone about. Maybe the most gracious thing that, Isaiah, that God does for Isaiah is that nowhere here do I see his sins listed. Wouldn't that be embarrassing? How many thank God that he doesn't on a teleprompter or some screen list all the mistakes that you've made? That's mercy. That's grace. But what we do know is that whatever Isaiah had done, whatever mistakes that he had made, had so deeply tarnished and stained his heart that he says these words, my lips are unclean. My lips are so unclean. I, I, I am so unclean that my lips are not even worthy to utter your name. We take for granted that we can come into this place and praise him. We take for granted that we can come in and lift up our voice and sing these songs to Jesus and sing these songs to God about our great love and appreciation for him. But make no mistake about it, we're only able to enter into his presence because of the finished work of the cross. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us so that when we stand before the Father, he does not see the long list of my failures, but he sees the finished work of his son. How many thank God that we can sing, praise God, my sins are gone. As far as the east is from the west, he has separated me from my sin and my failure. You are not defined by your mistakes anymore. So don't beat yourself up over them. Don't keep yourself in the prison of guilt. We're all imperfect, desperately in need of a perfect Savior. But good, the good news is salvation has come because the Savior has come, because Christ has come. So Isaiah stands there, and in verse number six, God sends an act of grace, a messenger, an angel who symbolically takes this, this real coal and touches his lips as a representation of what Christ would, would later do, atoning for our sin, not because of any goodness in Isaiah, but totally as an unmerited act of grace on God's part. Isaiah's forgiveness was not because he deserved it, and it certainly wasn't because it, he earned it, and neither is ours. God comes to us and he forgives us, not because we've earned it, but because he's just that good. And on the other side of this, we see Isaiah saying yes. Why did he say yes? Yes, because of the glory of God, but also because he had been forgiven. And who better to go to a nation that needed forgiveness than a man who had been forgiven? And who better to go to your family and your friends and your loved ones who need forgiveness than you and I who have received such forgiveness. And it seems to me very interesting that on the other side of verse number seven, we have verse eight. What I mean by that is equally as important and intriguing to me as the words that are said is the timing of it all. Because what we see here is that after he received grace, God asked him a question. And here's the question. And I heard the voice of the Lord, verse number eight, saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? That's the question. And I don't think that's a question uniquely reserved for Isaiah. 
I think it's reserved for us as well. But it's as if God is saying, after all the good things that I've done for you, Isaiah, after the act of grace that i just shown you, after removing your guilt and forgiving your sins, will you go for me? And Isaiah responds and says, yes, here am I, I'll go. Why did he say yes? Well, I believe it's because he, he knew it was God calling him. And I believe that you and I, as a result of the grace of God extended to us, need to go because what compels us to go is the call and who actually gives that call. I think that God knew exactly what he was doing when he asked Isaiah this question, when he asked Isaiah this question. I think it was a question intended to force Isaiah to ponder the grace that he had received. And today, I guess I wonder, when was the last time, when was the last time you or I pondered the grace we've received? When was the last time your eyes filled with tears thinking about the mercy that God has shown you? When was the last time your heart overflowed with praise at all that God had done? You know, it's so interesting how Satan comes to rob us of joy by causing us to focus on what we don't have. But if you think for just a moment about all the good things that God has done for you, I believe it will render you the same way as Isaiah with hands of obedience lifted high to God in a posture of thanksgiving saying, here am I, Lord, send me. Why? Because God is just that good, friends. He is just that good. He is so good. How can we say no? Have you ever had somebody in your life that has been so good to you that you can't say no to them? Anybody got somebody like that in your life? For a lot of us, it, it is mom. It's no coincidence that it's Mother's Day because moms often are the ones who have done more for us than anybody else has done for us. As a matter of fact, I think about my own mom and I'm, I'm blessed the Lord hooked me up with a really good mom and uh, my mom can call me in the middle of the night and say, baby, what you doing? And I feel like saying back to her, now you know I'm asleep. <laughs> but it's mama, right? And after all that she's done for me, if she asks me to do something, I'm going to say yes. I don't care if what she asks me to do is bring her food in the middle of the night. I'm going to go and say yes. I know everybody doesn't have this relationship with their mom, but I'm grateful that I do. And some of you are blessed and you should be able to say thank you for that kindness of God. You know, moms have a way. My mom for sure has a way. She doesn't even have to remind me of everything that she's done. There's just a tone in her voice. I think it's a spiritual gift. I'm convinced of that. Some special spiritual gift given to moms, the, the tone of their voice, they remind you of all the diapers they've changed and food that they fed you and how they were an unpaid Uber driver all while you were growing up. And they don't even have to remind you. It's just the tone of their voice somehow. Uh, reminds you of all of these things. Well, just as, as, as mom has been good to you, how much more God has been good to you? And if there are some people on earth that have been so kind that you wouldn't dare say no to their request, how much more should the goodness of God compel you and I to say yes? God forgives him. And then ask him, will you go for me? And Isaiah 
reflecting on the goodness of God, says, yes, I'll go. How can I be silent? You see, it's impossible for you to have a deep appreciation about how good God has been to you and be silent. As a matter of fact, whenever I see praiseless moments in my own life, it is only an indication to me that I've gotten some form of temporary spiritual amnesia and I have forgotten how good God is to me. Whenever I see praiseless people, it's just a reminder to me that maybe they don't fully understand how good God has been. Maybe they haven't really captured how good God has been to us. God has been so good to us, how can we keep silent? One of the great preachers of all, Charles Spurgeon, famously said it this way, If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will whisper it into your child's ear. You will be willing to tell it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friends. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak, your eyes will flash as you talk about the sweet love of Jesus. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Those are stinging words, but I believe very true. It cannot be that we know the goodness of God and yet fail to speak of him. It cannot be that we know his mercy and fail to talk about it to others. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation for God and yet silent lips. When you know how good he is, you will tell the world about him for all that he's done for you. And how many praise him for all that he has done for you. But the story doesn't stop there, does it? As I come to a conclusion, it's, It's a story about listening to God, and that's certainly part of the question. Like Isaiah, are you listening to God for his calling? Like Isaiah, are you hearing him when he speaks through his word? Are you saying, God, where might you be calling me? Because he is. He is calling you. Some, yes, sure, certainly he's calling you to maybe dedicate your life to global missions. Others, maybe to serve in a local church, but all of us, in our public and private life to simply bear witness of his salvation and his grace. Maybe today you can ask the Lord, how are you calling me? But once you hear him call you, what is your predetermined response? Decide now. Decide now before you try to pull out your calculator and tabulate all the expense associated. Decide now what your predetermined response to God's call will be before you start calling other friends, asking them for their wisdom on the matter. Decide now how you will respond to God before you start second-guessing the voice of God and the wisdom of God in calling you. It was as if Isaiah was waiting to be called because without blinking an eye, the question goes from who will go to up for us to Isaiah responding saying, here am I, send me. He was ready to respond. There's not even a verse in between. He is immediately responding. 
And he goes on to hear God reciprocate in response and say, go. And those few words of exchange is the sum total of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is simply God saying, who will go for me? Who will tell the world of, of forgiveness and mercy? And again, who better? Who better to tell the world of forgiveness than those of us who have been forgiven? Who better to tell the world of grace than those of us who have received so much? And so Isaiah says, yes, I will go. Now, two questions need to emerge. One is, who did God send him to? And two is, what message did God send him with? Let me deal with the first. Who did God send him to? It was a hard-hearted people. God sent him to a culture that was very much corrupt. But how many believe that that's not true just of Isaiah's culture? But that's true for our culture as well. Read verse number five. You may ask, well, how do you know that this people was a corrupt people? Well, Isaiah tells us, first the indictment of himself. Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. And then he tells us a little bit about his culture, the people he lives among. For I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. It's not unique to Isaiah's day. It's true for us as well. The fall happens in Genesis 3, and it continues to affect every generation subsequent to that. And so it is with our generation. Isaiah lived in a generation that didn't encourage him to take steps towards God, but it tried to woo him away from God. Don't use your time and your talent and your treasure to glorify him. Waste it on yourself. Do things that will bring you temporary pleasure with no view towards eternity. And so it is for our culture and our moment in time. It's not encouraging us, this world, to pursue God, but it's trying to woo us away from God, to get us to be self-centered. Our culture is so far from God that we have become a violent people and the blood is on our hands. And it's not just our violence, but it's our lost morality. We don't even have categories for right and wrong. We're so confused and so hedonistic that we've lost the ability to even answer the most basic questions like, what is a man and what is a woman? We've lost ourselves. But yet God, in his mercy, sends Isaiah's culture, Isaiah. And God, in his mercy, sends our culture, us. To go and to share a hard message. So let's, let's talk about the message for a moment. Because I think it's really interesting that God doesn't give Isaiah a bottle of whiteout or the editorial pen to say, Isaiah, modify this as you see necessary in order to make it as appealing as possible. Isaiah is not given that freedom, that creative license, if you will. He is given one message that he must proclaim, and that is repent and believe. And that is the gospel, friends. Repent and believe. I'm not given the freedom to modify this as much as I like you, and I really do like you. I'm not given the freedom to adjust this message to simply make it more appealing 
No, I've been tasked with the job of declaring there is one God and one reconciler between God and man and one way to salvation, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. But here's the good news. If you put your faith and your trust in him, he can save you just like he has saved everyone who has turned to him in faith. And you too can sing the song, praise God, my sins are gone. Not because of me, but because of him. One final verse of scripture. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. And I'll close here. In Matthew chapter 28, we read of the great commission. Verses 18 through 20 read as this. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the message, friends, that Jesus has come, that Christ has come, mercy has come, grace has come. And for a lot of moms in here, the greatest burden and prayer of their heart is that their children will believe in Jesus. And I will tell you right now, that for many of us in here today, the greatest burden of the heart of God is that we would fully trust him and surrender our lives to him and that we would follow him faithfully. If you have not put your trust in him, my advice to you is don't get this close to salvation and miss it. But be humble enough to say, Lord, I need you and he will save you. But if he does, if he has, if you are a recipient of his mercy and grace, don't remain silent. Like Isaiah say, here am I, I will go. Another of my favorite preachers said this, that there are only three types of people as it pertains to the Great Commission. Those who go, those who give, and those who are disobedient. I praise God that I'm a part of a church that is willing to go. So many of you have committed your lives to serving Christ locally, and many of you have even committed your life to serving Christ abroad, and I'm grateful for that. I'm also grateful that I'm a part of a church that I really am convinced is a giving church. For many of you to mention a QR code is a small thing, and it's because you value Christ as your highest treasure. You don't overvalue money at the expense of devaluing the cross, but you recognize that the greatest asset I own, the greatest possession that I have is my relationship with Christ, and I would gladly give it all away so that the gospel, the name, and the fame of Jesus could be spread. But there is the third category of those who are disobedient. And I would simply say to you, he is coming back again. And when he comes back, I pray that he will find us gladly going and giving until all have heard, until Christ returns. So today, if you have not yet put your trust in him, do so please. And if you have, whisper the good news of Jesus in the ears of children. Tell it to friends, to neighbors, to loved ones. Again, until Christ has come until all have heard. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.